be seated. As you're being seated this morning, um, I'm remembering an experience that I had just a few years ago, three or four, went up uh, with uh, three or four uh, friends, men from this church, to watch uh, the Cincinnati Bengals play football. It uh, was on a Sunday, which is strange for me to be not here, and even stranger to be not here, but also uh, in an uh, NFL football stadium. And as we were there, I became acutely aware that, uh, that uh, we uh, uh, were in the middle of a massive worship service attended uh, by tens of thousands of people. They rolled up in their converted buses, converted uh, uh, ambulances, converted whatever, decked out. There were uh, Cincinnati colors and Bengals everywhere. It was unbelievable. After that, I watched the movie Concussion, and in that movie, uh, the NFL guy who works for the Steelers made this statement. He said, Sunday used to belong to God, but we took it from him. And uh, you might say that all those folks who do what they do, and it was huge. I mean, this one crew of us had their own DJ. They had everything set up. They were passionate about football and especially their team. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about passion about burning desire, about zeal uh, for something uh, that uh, just gets you excited, that revs your engine. I believe that God has shaped the heart of every person in this room, and there is something that just gets you almost giddy when you think about doing it. An area of ministry to which God has called you that when he has called you to do it, you are driven to succeed. You want it to work. You don't even think twice about it. You'll come early. You'll stay late. You'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. There's something in you that is just passionate about that. And this morning, we're going to rediscover Jesus' passion, the driving force of his ministry. We'll see how it was threatened, then fueled, and what resulted from his passion. Uh, Let's talk about that. Pressure uh, is the threat to passion. Uh, Let's look through the past 24 hours of Jesus' life. He came into Capernaum, and taught on the Sabbath in the synagogue. I've been there, been to Capernaum. Several of you have been to Capernaum. That synagogue sits maybe, I would say, a couple hundred yards off of the Sea of Galilee on a pretty main thoroughfare. And so Jesus came in. He taught in that, and there would have been a very public uh, uh view of him and his ministry there. While he's teaching, a demon interrupted, crying out with a loud voice, Ha! 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he rebuked the demon, and the crowd is even more amazed. And if you, uh, I, I wish you could see it. Those of you who want to go to Israel, you should. It is remarkable. It is amazing. It takes stories in Scripture and makes them 3D. I could just imagine the crowd in this synagogue listening to this exchange between Jesus and between this demon. And they left the Saturday Sabbath worship and they started talking. Did you hear what happened in synagogue this morning? Did you notice how Jesus wasn't afraid of that demon? Who is this man, Jesus? Well, he left that ha- the synagogue, and he would have come out, turned left, and headed straight toward the Sea of Galilee to Simon Peter's house. Simon Peter's house between the synagogue and the Sea of Galilee, and he discovers Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who is ill, and he heals her. Finally, the sun goes down. It's a long day. According to Jewish law, nobody did anything at that point. That's the beginning of the Sabbath uh, when the sun goes down. So the sun goes down. No one is to do anything. It was considered work to carry someone. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the end of the Sabbath. They brought those, though, who were demon-possessed. They didn't care. They bring all these people to Jesus, one after another after another. The evening is filled with sick people. We must lose our picture of Jesus as some robotic person, and you definitely must lose your picture of all the faith healers you've seen on television. This is not Jesus. There's no grand spectacle. There's no description of anything that would make it look like he's swinging his arm out over a massive crowd of people and they're falling out. And No, there's none of that. If you look at this, they brought these people to him and he lay his hands on each one of them. Each one of them them. That's what happened. Why? Because Jesus loves people. He does. Jesus loves people. Uh, His power did not trump his, his compassion at all. Do you know the danger that Jesus faced? Burnout. Burnout comes when we focus on the urgent and not the important. Burnout comes when we focus on the urgent and not important. I know what some of you are thinking. Sick people aren't important. Demon-possessed people don't matter. Yes, they do. Laying hands individually on them, yes, it is important. But it wasn't the most important. It wasn't what mattered most. It was the most urgent need in Capernaum. There were sick people everywhere. The healer is in town. Carry your sick people to the healer, and he can heal them. And Jesus could, and he did. 
But it still wasn't the most important thing to be done. Reminds me of the story of the origin of that old saying. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of what? Cure. You've heard that, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, that originated with Benjamin Franklin, or at least he made it famous. So Franklin had gone to Boston, where he was from, back to Philadelphia, discovered that when a fire would break out in Philadelphia, everybody would just drop everything they're doing and run to it. Didn't matter what your profession was, didn't matter what your training was, well, there's a fire, so what do you do? Well, you put it out. Right, So everybody would drop everything they were doing and go put the fire out. And Franklin says, we got to fix this. In Boston, they're controlling fires. In Philadelphia, we're setting them. So what did he do? He organized a fire department. He said, perhaps a little bit of training on how to put fires out would be good. Perhaps people who have a certain kind of skill would be good. And then he said this, in the first place, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of a cure. I would advise them to take care how they suffer or carry living coals in a full shovel to be carried out from one room into another or up or downstairs. Unless you put them in a warming pan shut, he said. Right? It's hard to follow his English. But back in the day, our house has five fireplaces in it. All right? And they, the four of them were coal-burning fireplaces. And so you would literally carry coals and put them in the fire, hot coals, right, from one to another and start a fire off of another. Well, if you just put those coals in a shovel that isn't covered, guess what? You could get a fire all right. But it won't be in the fireplace. And look what he says. For scraps of fire may fall into chinks and make no appearance until midnight. (laughs) When your stairs being in flames, you may be forced, as I once was, to leap out of your windows and hazard your necks to avoid being oven roasted. So Benjamin Franklin said, you know, if you would just take care of the fire... Yeah, we need a fire department, but not near as often as we would. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You say, Jerry, what's the point? The point is the urgent things will wear us out. If we spend our lives, we've been talking about this among our staff, working in the ministry without working on the ministry we will become weary in doing well. That's the danger. So I would ask you this morning, what what matters most to you? Not what needs to be done most. You see, ministry needs do not determine your passion. You can't just run to every need and try to meet every one. Jesus didn't, you cannot. So pressure, it's a threat to your passion. If you're only doing urgent things, I promise you, you'll get tired and you'll quit. Number two, prayer is the fuel for passion. He prayed, verse 42, and when it was day, he departed And went into a desolate place. 
he, he left. He left Capernaum. He left sick people. He left hurting people. And he went to a desolate place. He had just spent a difficult night in ministry. He was exhausted. He was tired. Yet with all that was ahead of him, with all the sick people, with all of the demon-possessed people, Jesus prayed. That's working on the ministry. Why? Why did Jesus pray? Well, look, look what happened. It is in this time with the Father that he receives clear direction as to his purpose. And he left. He left Capernaum. Jesus left. So I want to say something to you this morning that, that pastors never say. But some of you might need to leave your ministry position to pray. Now, don't all of you do it at once, or we're toast. But seriously, if you dread rather than desire, you need to check yourself. If showing up to serve is drudgery, if going to do what God has, has gifted you to do has somehow become a constant burden to you, please hear me. And I say this with love and respect. You are no good for yourself and you are no good for those you're serving. Always weary if I go to a pastor's meeting and we're sitting there and they begin to talk and they begin to put down either their people or their place. There's trouble on the horizon. There's a sick shepherd, right? There's weariness in doing well. Fatigue. Jesus needed time with the Father. And every time I see that, do you know what I think? If he, the Son of God, needed time with the Father, how much more do I? Let me just ask a question. Be, be honest. Don't, don't just throw your hand up because I'm asking a question. How many of you would say that you are busier now than you've ever been in your life? Raise your hand. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you think technology has helped us? No. No. Sometimes I wonder at work, we have, we're just compiling a list, working on it. We have 65 medical professionals in our church. Everyone I talk to seems to spend a, an increasingly proportionate of time, amount of time in front of a screen and not in front of a person. And, and they were called and are passionate about 
people. It's amazing, isn't it? Not only did Jesus leave, he went to a desolate place. The word desolate here is the same word used for desert in the Greek. I would recommend to you as we approach the holiday season, a fast away from the normal, most likely technology that dominates your world. And to say for that fast, in the silence of it, that you're going to get alone with God. And you're going to seek Him. I I would just make this recommendation to you. Recently, I was on a trip to Philadelphia for our work in Senegal. And it was there while I was away on the Saturday morning. I was up early. I was praying that it dawned on me, just being straight 100 with you guys, it just dawned on me that for years, the mornings in my life have been the Lord's. I wake up early, and the morning belongs to the Lord in coffee. All right, so he's way up there. I don't mean to diminish him at all, but coffee's big. And so, so I get up early. I look over at Sue's house to see if she's up. She's my neighbor. So I look over. Sue's usually up. She's in the Word. That always encourages me. That's our first deal. I grab my coffee. I go sit, and I begin to read. Uh, I pray through the Psalms every morning of my life. Uh, that time is precious. Uh, I couldn't imagine it. I, I, life without I can't get enough. But it occurred to me that the evenings have not been that. That the evenings haven't, been, haven't belonged to the Lord. They, they belong to just listlessness, to, to I'm just so tired. You know, what do I do? Just sit there, right, and kind of vegetate. And so I, I discovered that that morning in the hotel room, I get to the meeting and the guy leading the meeting says, I want to go to this devotion and I'm going to Psalm 92, he says. Here it is. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to, dis- to declare your steadfast love in the what, church? And your faithfulness by what? And God said, told you. I was like, wow, God, you really want me to get this. Don't you love it when he hits you here and he hits you here and he pings you here and he's saying, get this, listen to me, Jerry, your evenings, why don't you uh, every evening thank me for what I've done all day. And in the morning, praise me for what I'm about to do that day. And in the evening, why don't you thank me for what I've done that day? And God began to do that. And I can tell you, I've started. It's not as consistent yet. It's more than it was, which is not saying much, but it's more than it was. Because it wasn't at all. The crowds return. They go looking for him until they find him. There's an interesting phrase in verse 43. It says, they sought him and came to him. And you just go, oh, big deal. But when you dig into the Greek, it says the language paints the picture of coming, them coming up to Jesus and getting right up in his face. 
And he looked at them, and this is shocking, and said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. In other, in other words, I'm gone. Wow. Jesus said, I'm out. I'm out. Is that a lack of compassion? No. He knows his purpose. That's all that is. He, he's just saying, that's why I was sent. <clears throat> if we look at his statement more closely, I must, he said, and that word means to be bound. I am bound to do this. How can you know that you are doing what God has called you to do when you can't imagine doing anything else? That's how you know. When you can't imagine doing anything else. Last summer I went to Ecuador with our, Ecuador, with our team, our mission team. I will say to you, see some passionate people. Kathy Smothers, I do not think, can imagine doing anything else except serving those people as she is a medical professional, a nurse practitioner, serving those people as they come to her. She's brilliant. I just watch her, and, and I, I, I interpret for her at times, and she's just brilliant. It's easy. Paula Bergen, Days for Girls. She's back there this morning, passionate about that ministry. If you've never looked into it, an amazing ministry for women around the world, freeing for women all over the world. Paula, passionately teaching, instructing, teaching women at this orphanage how to sow. Never before grace did I think you could be passionate about parking cars. I had no clue. Until I met Lamar Silver. He's passionate about parking cars. Every facility change, and we're about to have one, as the building begins, Lamar will wake up in the night thinking, how do I get all the cars here? He's not in the service right now because we're expecting the second crew to get here early. And in his mind is, how do I get them? He literally has written again and again and again and again diagrams to fit the most number of cars in the least amount of space. I'm not lying to you. He's passionate about parking cars. He is. Jesus said, I must. When you can't imagine doing anything else, you're doing what you ought to do. Bottom line, if you're a teacher, why aren't you teaching? If that's in you, you ought to do it. He said, I've got to preach, means to evangelize. Well, what in the world? God cares for hurting people, does he not? He cares for the sick. He cares for the demon-possessed. Yes, God cares for hurting people. He cares enough to give them hope beyond this life. Jesus said, I was sent for that. I was sent to give hope. 
Number three, perseverance. That's the product of passion. All right, duty will drive you, but it will not sustain you. Passion will give you perseverance. It will. And he was preaching. Some translations render this, he kept on preaching. Jesus kept on preaching. He continued doing what the Father had sent him to do. Persevere means to continue steadfastly, especially in something that is difficult or tedious. That's what it means. When you persevere, you don't quit when it gets hard. And I will just say to you that serving the Lord at times is hard. It just is. Different ones of you, the different things you do. If you lead a life group, when one of your life group members hurts, it's hard. If you work with students, when one of your students wanders and you have to help bring him back, bring her back, that's hard. Serving can be difficult. Uh, persevere means to continue steadfastly, especially when it's hard. Though the religious leaders of Jesus' day criticized his methods, he kept on preaching. Though the Pharisees found fault when Jesus went home to eat with sinners, he kept on preaching. Though the spiritually elite complained when he picked corn and ate it on the Sabbath, he kept on preaching. Though his forerunner and cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he kept on preaching. When the storm raged on the boat and the disciples became afraid and accused Jesus of not caring, he kept on preaching. When the people who had seen the demoniac healed urged Jesus to leave their town, he kept on preaching. Though Peter denied him in his hour of great distress, Jesus kept on preaching. They nailed him to a cross. He hung there in agony and pain. And they mocked him and spit on him and gave him vinegar instead of water to drink and mockingly called him the king of the Jews. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He kept on preaching. Aren't you glad, church? He kept on preaching. Yes, he did not abandon his call, though they put him in a borrowed tomb because he could not afford his own. Our Lord kept on preaching. Early, Mary Magdalene approached him. Didn't know it was him. Don't touch me, he said. I've not yet ascended to my God and yours, but do what? Go tell. Go tell. Jesus was passionate about what his father had sent him to do. So the question comes, how, how do you find this? Say, I'm not sure if I, I know what, what my passion is. I would say sometimes you almost find it accidentally. 
or I don't want to be too technical here because sometimes you almost find it accidentally. Uh, you may just do something, try it, and you're like, wow, I love that. So I would say today when you walk around and you see the different things, take a risk, try it. Seriously, just, just try it. Next week we'll talk about skill. And so let me just give a disclaimer. If you can't sing, don't take that risk. <laughs> All right? I'm just saying, unless the Holy Spirit falls on you and performs a miracle, we will be hurting. But, but, but sometimes you have to try. I would say, secondly, pray. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what it is. God, what is it that you've, you've given me a heart for that, that it just won't go away? Is it a group of people like, like Paula with these women, young women with Ace for Girls, or Amanda Fuller with people with special needs? People who are poor, who need to serve in our, our food pantry, need to be served by our food pantry. I, it, it may be those kinds of things. It, it may be more technical. Uh, you know, people do get passionate about running cameras and, and screens. That's foreign to me, but people like that. Not sure what it is. His father was a successful barber, so everybody assumed George would be too. Unfortunately for his dad, George liked music. And unfortunately for George, his dad thought musicians were mere vagabonds. But at the age of seven, the the Duke of Weissenfels accidentally heard George playing around on an organ. And he said to George's father, you have to encourage that. Reluctantly, George's father, who thought you can make money being a barber, you can't make money playing an organ, but he said, okay, after all a Duke had given that advice and sure enough George Handel became that remarkable musician who is remembered every Christmas for Handel's Messiah the hallelujah chorus is his work exegeting the book of Isaiah that predicts the coming Christ. As a matter of fact, he, he grew old and closer to the Lord and begged God to let him die on Good Friday. He would pass the very next morning on Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Don't you ever wonder what if George's dad had said, cut hair, son. 
We wonder that, don't we? We do. So I want to encourage you, if God has put something in you, serve it out. Serve it out. Whatever it is, serve it out. So here's how this sermon works. If you do not know the Christ who would not quit preaching, our passion is the same as his for you to know the Jesus who died as we have sung this morning on the cross in your place for your sins.